This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. And now we're pleased to bring you our feature presentation. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and today is officially, according to my calendar, walk to school day. Oh, I remember those days. Uphill both ways to school and without shoes and snowing in one direction and tornadoes in the other. <laughs> good times, good times. But today, we have even better times because joining us from OwnYourMoney.com, we welcome Belinda Rosenblum. Plus, in headlines, mortgage rates are on the move again. Is that good or bad for your wallet? We'll also throw out the Haven Lifeline, answer a letter from the mailbag, and more. And now, two guys who have a hell of a commute to work, down one whole flight of stairs, Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. But you got to be careful, especially if you're carrying coffee. Very important. Haven't you seen Home Alone? Yeah, Sometimes those steps are covered in tar or ice. You don't know. Nails. Yes, if you have you can uh, never be too careful. If you have uh, Macaulay Calkin stop by or your mom's neighbor Doug, anything could happen. Hey, everybody, welcome to the show where anything can happen. And it's Wednesday, and we got a lot happening today. Welcome to the Stacky Benjamin Show. I am Joe Saul C. Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter. Just so you know, which voice is which, and across the card table today again on Hump Day, it's my good friend OG. What's up, man? You are up. We are up. We're excited. I got my coffee in front of me. Check this out. I got up early out. this morning, like 5.45, which is 
well earlier than I normally do. I did the opposite. I was editing some shows and I couldn't sleep. And uh, so I went to bed at 10 after three. So high five for me. Hmm, yeah. Weird. Okay. Yeah. That never ends, ends well. So uh, we're, I've got a lot of caffeine in me right now. So I think the energy level is fairly high, but I can't guarantee that it's going to be that in about three hours. But you know what? My energy level is high for. <laughs> That's so bad. That's just like the worst transition ever. For LinkedIn, thanks to LinkedIn for supporting Stacking Benjamins. LinkedIn jobs matches people to your role based on more of who they really are, their skills, interests, even how open they are to new opportunities for $50 off. Is it 50 or 50? 50, correct. 50. Yep. For 50 dollars off your first job post go to linkedin.com slash sb that's linkedin.com slash sb terms and conditions apply also big thanks to magnify money for supporting stacky benjamins you know when you walk into your bank that brick and mortar bank immediately you're messing up because magnify money has all the products they have at over 90 percent of the banks out there and they are all rated from best to worst and unlike some other sites not rated according to the commission the site will get, but actually actually based on their fine print score, on the rewards that you receive, interest rate, whatever the products are competing on. Check it out at stackybedjamins.com forward slash magnify money. Magnify money makes it easy to compare, ditch, switch, and save. We are ready to roll today. We've got Belinda Rosenblum upstairs talking to mom. That's going to be a lot of fun, talking about getting your financial house in order learning how to track your money more effectively, and we got some great headlines. So let's fire up today's show. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins headlines. Our first piece comes to us from MarketWatch. This is written by Andrea Rickweir. Bond market bloodbath likely to hit mortgage rates soon. Another test for the housing market is the headline. Rates for home loans moved sideways in the most recent week, but the burgeoning bond market sell-off will likely hit mortgages in the coming weeks, setting up another test for a strained housing market. The 30-year fixed-rate mortgage averaged 4.71% in the October 4 week, down one basis point from 4.72, mortgage liquidity provider Freddie Mac said last Thursday. That snapped a five-week stretch of gains for the benchmark product, which had recently hit its highest point since April 2011. The 15-year fixed-rate mortgage averaged 4.15%, also down one basis point. The five-year Treasury-indexed hybrid adjustable rate mortgage averaged 4.01%, up from 3.97%. I wanted to talk about this for a second, OG, because I think a lot of people don't understand this relationship between bond prices and your mortgage. And I thought this this piece gives us a good opportunity to do that. Why would bond rates going up have anything to do with your mortgage rate going up? Really, it has to do with the fact that when banks take your mortgage and yours and everybody else's mortgage that they created in the last, whatever, six weeks or six days or however often they do it, package them together and create a product out of that and sell that on the open market to get those off their books, there has to be some sort of reconciliation with what the going rate is, so to speak, of something that is a guaranteed outcome. And so when it comes to 
the most guaranteed outcome we can think of are U.S. Treasuries. And so as those rates change, then rates and subsequent lending things change as well. So you can look at the more securitized of debt obligation is, your house, for example, is going to have a lower interest rate than when you swipe your American Express card and there's no securitization. Yeah. So that kind of all layers together to kind of create this domino effect of when one thing changes, then the rest of the stuff has to change commensurately. It's a little thing, but most people don't realize that mortgages are tied to treasuries, to your point, but the... the that, yeah, that take a drink. What? <laughs> I, I got caught, didn't I? All right, here we go. Here, John, this one's for you. So uh, might as well drink twice. Uh, to your point, OG, there, I did it again. Mortgages are tied to treasuries, but more short-term debt like car loans and credit cards are actually tied to then the Fed movement. So, I mean, they're closely related, but not not the same. So when the Fed moves, you'll right. definitely see car loans and credit card interest rates change. When treasuries move, you'll see mortgages change. Why, why is a, you know, they talk about the 15-year rate being lower than the 30-year rate. Why is it that a 15-year loan is always cheaper money than a 30-year loan? Well, it just has to do with the risk profile of it. You're not tying up your money for as long, so you will are willing to accept a lower rate than you would be if you were tying up your money for a longer period of time. I always find it funny that when the interest rates change and they work against you, like your credit card interest rate or a variable home equity loan rate or something, when that works against you, the change is like immediate. <laughs> It's like it's like the Fed funds rate changed uh, yesterday. Hey, look, your new credit card rate is today. Bam. Boom. But when it goes the other way, it takes them what another month and a half to like a, adjust your savings account rate. It's just like it's, like it's just like gas prices. I mean, gas prices yeah. the same way. You get some big headline, bam, gas prices through the roof, and then yeah, yeah hey, we've got uh, surpluses. We've got tons of it. Oh, yeah, we'll get around to changing it when we get to it. Yeah. <laughs> it's strange how that works. No, you it? lower yours. No, you lower yours. I dare no, you. No, you lower yours first. I dare you. I double dare you. <laughs> I thought it was a good time to go over that. I was reading that headline and I thought, you know what? It might be pretty 101, but that's some stuff people don't know. So when you hear that the Fed raise interest rates, uh, don't go buy a car the next day. Or the better idea is pay cash for your car so you don't get into that problem there at all. Go. Our next uh, headline, second headline today, comes to us from Investment News. This is according to the Public Investors Arbitration Bar Association, PIABA. FINRA proposal to ease oversight of brokers' outside activities would spur selling away, this piece said. There is a lot of jargon in that sentence, but this is also uh, a a landmine. FINRA is kind of like the police of... Would that be a good analogy? The the police force of uh, brokers and a lot of the financial advisor community? If by police force, you mean like neighborhood watch program and the biggest houses on the block get to vote who gets to be on the neighborhood watch and also what they get to watch for, then yes, yes like the police force. Yeah, good, good analogy there. A FINRA proposal... To ease requirements for brokerages' oversight of their registered representatives' work, those are their brokers' work, outside the firm will create a regulatory, quote, black hole 
and lead to more investor ripoffs, according to a new report from securities attorneys. In a report released Thursday, the Public Investigators Arbitration Bar Association criticized a rule change being considered by the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, FINRA, that would relieve financial firms of some responsibilities for supervising outside business activities. Under the FINRA proposal, brokerages would not have to monitor their representatives when they sell private securities away from the firm if the firms do not approve the sales. Firms also would not have to supervise or keep records of a broker's work at an unaffiliated registered investment advisor. Kind of means that your advisor could be working on one hand for one firm and then have things they're doing with another firm. I find it very frustrating that this is even on the table. Why would why why would Finra be okay with that with loosening those uh, restrictions? I I can't figure out why. I can't either. I mean, it's, it seems really silly, especially when the vast well, I don't know if the vast majority, but a lot of the regulatory issues as it relates to brokers doing bad things has to do with them canoodling you know outside activities where they go oh i forgot to tell you that cool new investment thing that i thought was going to really take off i'm part owner in that and it didn't take off how many, how many s- stories do we talk about of like you know some famous rich person or nfl player or something like that would go oh well i didn't know that my broker was also the ceo of ABC investment company and was charging, you know, it's just, it's always like layers upon layers for that. So I don't know. Yeah. I was, I was just thinking the same thing. We've had that, that story over and over and over and that's the area that they're loosening. I, I, I I don't get it. It it hasn't passed yet, but this is from Andrew Stoltman, a Chicago securities attorney and PI ABA board member. He says, quote, this is undoubtedly one of the worst rule changes ever contemplated by FINRA, said Mr. Stoltman, a co-author of the report. It would be a bonanza for rogue brokers, and it would paint a huge target on the backs of individual investors. Then FINRA spokespeople said, we continue to listen to stakeholders and are reviewing all comments on this issue. Be interesting to see if anything happens with that. But also, generally, I think that is a, a good lesson, regardless of what happens here. If you're advisor has some private placement for your money that's not on your statement with all the rest of your stuff, that's not not going through a third-party intermediary like a lot of advisors will use maybe TD Ameritrade or they'll use Charles Schwab or maybe even Fidelity. So they'll use some clearing firm to actually do the trades. If you get an outside statement with this other thing that looks like it came from a 19... 52 typewriter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if it's written in crayon, <laughs> it's a really bad idea. Well, and, and that's, again, th- those are all layers of protection that you can have around yourself when it comes to outside investment things. Quite often, they're never as good as you intend them to be. And you have to be so beyond financially independent to throw money at at these really obscure weird type products, third-party placements, whatever the case may be, that you have to go into it knowing, hey, this may completely blow up. I think in 20 years, I've probably recommended two private placements, and both of them came with the caveat of 
let's run the plan of this money being gone if it doesn't happen. Like, let's assume that it's gone. It just vanished. Are we still okay? Yes, it is. We're willing to take a risk on a small, really teeny tiny part of the business to see if we can't turn it into you know, some life changing money, but otherwise it's a really, really, really small part of your net worth. Well, and I like the fact that you're introducing it that way. You're introducing it as the thing that it is instead of, and let's put all your money on and we traded it through the third party custodian and it was on their statement and you didn't write a check payable to OG and OG's family or some mythical third party. All of those things are warning signs. If your broker or your financial planner or advisor says, no, no, just, you know, you've been working with me for 25 years. I mean, you trust me, right? So why don't you uh, send me a check, Joe? Just make it out to OG. No. Um, I no, think, no. what, a quarter million ought to do? Yes. Uh, we'll get started there. I'll send you the statements. No, no. <laughs> Let's keep this between us. We don't want to tell your friends yet because it might be too good of a deal. This is a great thing, Mr. Client. Just make the check out to the Charitable Authority Security House, otherwise known yeah. as Cash. Otherwise, oh, it's cash. You can abbreviate C A S H. But charitable is the key word there. Yeah. Well, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. So I think our lesson there is if something doesn't pass the sniff test in terms of how you're getting your statements, might be at the very least some questions to ask, regardless of what happens with uh, FINRA on this proposal. But then the other takeaway worried about mortgage rates? Watch treasuries worried about your credit card or auto loans. Watch what the Fed does. I'm super excited that our friend Belinda Rosenblum is about to walk down the stairs. She's a CPA and is the proprietor of the coaching site, ownyourmoney.com. Belinda's been all over the airwaves. She's quoted as a financial guru on Boston's ABC, NBC, and Fox networks. You've seen her in Yahoo Finance, womenentrepreneur.com, Inc., Smart Money, Univision, Today's Financial Women, Rhode Island Monthly, does a lot of work in the Northeast and nationwide. And today she's going worldwide, man, because she's going to be on the Stacking Benjamin Show. Let's say hello to our good friend, Belinda Rosenblum. And coming down to the basement, my BFF, Belinda Rosenblum. How are you? I'm awesome. Thank you. It's funny. My initials used to be BF. So how perfect I could be your BFF. It's a little chilly down here though. I don't hang out in the basement that much. No, no. The nice thing is who needs air conditioning when you have mom's basement? Like we we don't need air conditioning, but now you're going to warm the place up with your natural warmth and your great money skills, which we're so glad we finally, we finally got you here. I'm excited to be here. Let's, I feel like I'm with you all the time. Let's, you, let's, you run with me. Little did you know. So. I'm, we're, we're sweating together. Yeah. yeah. Let's <laughs> let's talk about you because were you always good with money? Were you somebody that was great with the budget and money management skills? Um, unfortunately not. Well, actually, fortunately, unfortunately, on the one hand, I feel like it gives me a lot of compassion for people who struggle with it because I still, to this day, have a kitchen table that I have to be careful because sometimes when I look at it, if there's papers on it, I have this flashback to when I was late twenties and literally sitting at my dining room table, 
in front of three huge stacks of bills and mail. So no, I was not always great with my money, Joe. Three big stacks. Were they overdue bills? Oh, yes. It was the kind of thing that there wasn't just one of a bill. There would be like two or three or four of a bill. So when we went to go and pay it, we had to figure out which was the last one to make sure that we were paying the whole bill. How, I would eventually go through it. How are you juggling so many bills at 28? I mean, were you just a, a shooter buying all kinds of different stuff? <laughs> what, what was going on at 28 that you had three huge stacks of bills? Sure. When I was 21, I just graduated college and my dad had a stroke. And so with all the medical bills that he had and just the challenges that we had, you know, helping him through the hospital and then coming back home and then eventually in assisted living, I became the family CFO at 21. I mean, think when you were 21, like you can barely handle yourself and a credit card. Are you out of, are you even out of college yourself? I I'm an overachiever. You'll find that about me. (laughs) I do everything ahead of the game. I I was house hacking before people were, I I had my early midlife crisis 10 years before most (laughs) people do. I do a lot of things ahead of my game. So, um, I became family CFO at 21. Most people don't even do it by 31 or 41, but yeah, my parents had been divorced. Oh, that was, that was, that was actually my next question. Where was mom? But parents are divorced. And now you're 21 taking care of dad and all of his money. Yeah, it was just me and my sister helping him. And my sister had just started college herself. I was just out of college. And I was an accounting major. So it made sense in a lot of ways that I would be the one to help pick it up. But now I was in a new job working for one of the big accounting firms. And I was on the road nearly five days a week. So I would leave Monday morning. Generally, I'd fly home Friday night. I'd have the weekend. I'd try and see him. I'd try and work out, try and sleep a little bit. And the last thing I wanted to do was handle the bills. So what ended up happening was I would get them out of the mailbox and then I would find any free surface table, desk, basket, whatever I could find and put them on it. And I started this rinse and repeat cycle and I band-aided everything together for a few years. But then when things started to get really intense with work, I just started setting things aside. I don't know if I thought that someone was going to come in and save me or somehow they would just all go away. But it's kind of like, it's kind of like a lot of people. I mean, I've been there, Belinda. For me, it was, if I don't look at it, it'll get easier. Which, which is totally, as you know, shock, spoiler alert, it never right. works out that way. Right. It's, it doesn't go away. If anything, they actually come um, with a little bit more urgency when they start coming in red envelopes, <laughs> you know, thicker envelopes. They don't get better. Just one day, my sister innocuously had asked me, how are things going? Like, I know you're on the road a lot. You're working a ton. And you have it all handled at home. And the reality was that I was kind of living a lie because I was living like I had my financial life together. I worked for a big accounting firm. But on the inside, I felt a lot of shame and guilt about what I was letting pile up around the house. So I came home from this next trip because all I could tell my sister was, let me look at it this weekend. Like I need to come to terms with it. And she was right. It was a lot. Like I had eight bank accounts four credit cards, two properties, even you could have added a partridge in a pear tree and then it would have been complete. <laughs> like it was like craziness. So I had my, my moment, some call it my come to Jesus moment, which is funny because I'm Jewish um, and from New York, but that's okay. I just had this moment where it was like a reckoning, you know, and an awakening in a lot of ways where I just put it was one of the scariest things for those of you who have any piles. I brought them all onto that table. And that's how there were these three huge stacks that literally felt like they were staring me down. And I started to have what I now know as a panic attack, like where my heart is beating really fast and I can't really even stay seated. And I have to stand up and I start pacing and just my 
head trash was going wild. You know, I was like, oh my gosh, what if my dad gets kicked out of the nursing home and could a doctor turn away from seeing him because I hadn't been paying the bills? Could my boss find out and I could get fired? You know, just where our self-talk starts going way downhill. And then I just stopped. I just stopped pacing. I just sat down and I just took a breath and I said, you know what? Like I'm smart and successful in all these other areas of my life, but I just never figured out money yet. Right. And I just said, yeah, I said, I can do it. I have to get the financial independence doesn't mean I have to do it alone. And so um, that was the moment that when I stepped up to own my money, you know, my company is now called Own Your Money. And I feel like it's grounded in that moment where I realized that I didn't have to let all of that control me. I didn't have to feel like a victim to what I didn't know but that I did need to learn the right attitude about it all and also the skills. Like, how do I set up the systems to make all that happen? And I would imagine with that many piles of bills and being that far behind, it's all about the system. Yeah. And for me, it was about sustainable change. Like I knew what band-aiding was about. <laughs> I had had years of that. For me, <laughs> you were a, it took you were a, You were a band-aid ninja. Yeah, I didn't need any practice with that. So this was about like, I am getting this done. And that's kind of just how I am. But I hadn't ever applied that to me and money. And so I I sat down and I, I phoned a friend, honestly, because I was so paralyzed and I was so in it that it was really hard for me physically to even open up all of those bills. And she came over that weekend, both days. And then <laughs> my friend Annette came over again the next weekend. And the next weekend, it took like six months for her coming, like every few weeks for us to get through it. Because you know what, Joe? The mail keeps coming. Um, just because I was committed to clearing that out, it didn't mean I was going to stop. I was committed to figuring it out. And now this was before savings, you know, and talking about money was nearly as prevalent as it is now. So it was hard to find teachers back then. You know, it was hard to figure out what I had to do. So I basically taught myself I had to set up the systems to do it, both for tracking and for organizing, because I didn't want to just handle it once and then end up with two file piles that were as big as they had been before. But I love this idea so, before we get to system and process, which I really want to dive into. Mm -hmm. and, and how you track and how you set that up. Mm -hmm. I love this idea of the friend. Like what a great friend to come over and help you do that. But I think this process of having like a third party, an outside party looking at it with you, and it doesn't have to be somebody you pay all the time, right? Mm -hmm. But just mm -hmm. having somebody else's eyes, I think totally, I'm kind of feeling the emotion here. Like that changed your view on this pile, it did. I mean, literally, I was so paralyzed. She would have to open up an envelope and then show it to me and say, do you want me to pay it or can I just recycle this? And then if you can imagine a kitchen table where we had piles and we'd be like, okay, the medical bills go here. And then before we paid them, we had to make sure we had the last medical bill so that we were paying the most recent one. It was that bad at the time. And I had just a lot of emotions happening during that time period because I was caring for my father. You know, I had never expected that he would have a stroke at 59 and that I would be put in charge of all of this. So that was also part of it. And when she came in and it's just like now when I coach people, she didn't have the emotional attachment right. that I did that's right, the key. to the shame. And like as a coach, I don't have the emotional attachment. I can just help people pull the emotion out and realize, okay, what's the reality of what's happening here? The reality is that you just never learned how to track or you never learned how to have a system. And so we'll just teach it to you. 
we don't need to have you feel bad. We don't need, we can drop the shame and we can just learn like we learn how to do everything else in our lives. Let's talk then about the system. So then how hard was it for you to grab onto a system of, you know what, with the new mail coming in, uh, we're going to make sure there's a process in place instead of a bandaid. First, I'd say I had to believe that something better was possible. Like I had gotten so resigned and ashamed about it all that it was realizing that I could do this and I could set it up, but that I had to just take a moment without all of the noise of all of the stuff that was going around me to just say, okay, how do I want to work? What's going to work the best for me? Because I knew I would keep being busy, right? Like that wasn't going away. It wasn't like all of a sudden I would have three hours to spend on this every week, you know? <laughs> no, that was not happening. No, but so, seriously, um, as a point, a lot of people think, yeah. hey, when I have time, I'll handle this better. And I think taking that away and saying, you know, I'm never going to have time. So I have to find a way to do it without that, that baloney, you know, this right. magical time I'm going to somehow come up with taking right. that away, I think is a huge moment. Like it's a huge milestone. Right. So I'll give you a quick example of organizing. And so what I was doing before was that I would try and file everything by vendor, right? So think about all the different people that you pay in a given month. So I would have 20, 30 files all with separate file folders. So every time I'd pay something, I'd have to seek out that folder to put it in. And in the moment, I would just want to be paying them or doing whatever I was doing. And so they would pile up. So I changed that. And I said, well, what if instead I file it by invoice date? So once I catch everything up, everything is in its appropriate month. Now I'm going to have one file folder. So if it's October 2018, everything with an invoice date in that month goes in this file folder. So then if you think about it, pretty much anything you're doing at a given money date or, you know, when you're sitting down to pay would go into the current month or maybe the prior month. And so instead of looking for 20 or 30 file folders, I would just have my one or two file folders. So sometimes it's like little hacks like that can save us minutes or hours of our lives. And so I now I get to teach people those things, right? I, but they might not be intuitive initially. No, but I love this idea of one dashboard. You know, people will, when I was a financial planner back in the day, horse and mm -hmm. buggy days, people would, yeah, take the horse and buggy to <laughs> Joe's office. horses? Yeah. Yes, uh -huh. yes. Well, horses weren't invented yet. <laughs> <laughs> which made it a problem to get the buggy to my office. I, I, sorry, I meant they had buggies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Had <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, yeah. With, the important clarification. When, uh, when people would come in though, they'd have all these different dashboards. And I love what you're saying here. Like go from 50 dashboards to one dashboard so you can see it all together. Because I'm imagining if I open up like right now the October file, I know which of these bills are priority, which of them aren't. I can figure out which one I do. If I get paid twice a month, I can figure out which ones I do with the first paycheck, which ones I do with the second one. Like it's so much easier to see than 30 different things. Right. And then it's just all very separated, right? Or disparate. And so it's hard for you to draw any conclusions. And what's really nice is that we're answering one of the key questions by tracking and by filing this way is where did all my money go? You know, when you have it in a month, you could be like, look, this is exactly where it went. You know, one of the other things that I'll have uh, our, our students and our clients do is to change their billing dates, right, and their statement end dates so that they approximate the end of the month. So then, because it's super easy to do, the only thing you have to make sure of is if you have any credit card debt that you can make the date that you reset it to, right, because it will reset the statement end date, but it will also reset your payment due date. And so if you do manage it like you're talking about, where, you know, your first paycheck will go here, your second paycheck will go there. You just want to make sure that that will work. But I love it. So then that way you have your file folder, you have your statements dated, 
the last day of the month, give or take. And then it's all super clear. Oh, this is where my money went this month. Can we dive into doing that for a second though, Belinda? Sure. That's through the company. I make a call to the company and they're happy Mm -hmm. to do that. Yeah. Bank statements, credit card companies. Those are the most important ones. Yeah. So they don't give you any grief about it. They're just like, yep, we can change that. No. Yeah. You just have to check with them and say, okay, when will my payment be due then? Gotcha. And make sure that that works with the way you manage your money. So maybe that's been game changing. But maybe with some people then you need to pay, I'm thinking just ahead, you maybe just need to pay one month ahead just so that you can get on the game and then you're not behind. Right. So, you know, I'm part of it, right? If you think about when you track, I don't ever want people to be approximating zero. Like that's where overdraft fees come in, right? When you're keeping your bank account close to zero. Oh, I see what you mean. That may not be something that you do, but there are a lot of people who do. And so you make one extra charge or your partner makes one extra charge. And all of a sudden that gas that you stopped off to get for $10 is costing you $40. I used to do that right? all the or time. Or the coffee, you know, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. But no, back when I was horrible with money, I did that all the time and it was all in my head and I knew how much right. money I spent. And then there was, you know, my kids were like three and four and they're going to birthday parties and we're struggling with money. I totally forget that the, we got to buy a birthday present for one of Autumn's friends. And now right. I'm, I'm, I'm paying a $40 overdraft or $30 overdraft for a $15 Barbie toy. Right. <laughs> it's so silly. Barbie is certainly not worth your, your 40 <laughs> or your $55. That's for sure. Th- th- those right? are, so, those are some sweet Barbie clothes. Some yeah. very sweet. <laughs> worth I'll over. Bet they are. Yes. Yeah. Way worth overpaying for. Yeah. So when I talk with people about like finding their hidden money, like in the new video series we have, that's like a whole video because people just don't really have a grasp for where it's going. And so when you're hand, when you're managing your money so close to zero, one misstep can cause you that extra 30, $40. And I just don't want that for people. So we need to start to build up so that they get more comfortable with $500. So everything goes plus or minus that $500 that they're maintaining the account, for instance. And then you might be at the point where then you could change your statements because then you have a little bit more wiggle room. Gotcha. Maybe it's $1,000. My bank also started doing that and it's a smaller regional bank. So I bet they're not the only ones who did that where I can put like my spendable balance. And so I keep the reserve. So I know my balance number, but in big numbers, it tells me my spendable balance. So really it takes me to that buffer line and not to the, you're going to pay the monster overdraft line. I really, I really like, like having that. I love what you brought up. I love the idea of one dashboard. I love the idea of having uh, somebody else who's not emotional about your money. You go over this and you mentioned it earlier. And unfortunately, we're almost out of time. So I want to bring this up now. But you have a free video series that has not just not just those tips, which are huge, but a bunch more. Tell me, tell me about the video series. What we found from talking with a lot of people who are struggling to pay their bills, even though they're making decent money, is that they don't know how to have any extra cash left over at the end of the month, right? They just think it's going to happen and it doesn't, or it's a happy accident when it does. And so I want to teach people how to be more intentional. So we created this Enjoy Extra Cash Every Month video series. It's three videos. Then I walk you step by step. The first video teaches you really how to simplify money and how to understand it with these four simple steps. The second one dives right into this finding your hidden money concept where I help you identify your unconscious spending so that you can be like, oh my goodness, this is why my numbers never work out every month. This is where my money's really going. And then the third one is really the blueprint 
to move you from stressed about your money to secure. And so we have this going for a limited time. If people are listening to the replay, then we'll still have a goodie there for you too, to get you going. But yeah, we're super excited about this and the feedback has been tremendous so far. And just to be clear, and I've seen the feedback about the video series and about all of the tips that you give away, just to be clear to people at the end of that, obviously Belinda doesn't work for free. At the end of that, there are paid opportunities that people can sign up for at the end, right? Right. So we have something called the Money Makers Academy, which is our signature program. And it's life changing for people. Like just when you felt like you maybe were resigned like I was, you know, you were just stuck in the shame and you're like, oh, I don't think this can get any better. Then in comes the Money Makers Academy that says, wait a second, you can, let's teach you how. And it's it's really low cost. It's a monthly membership so that it gives people the ability when they are busy, when they don't have a lot of extra cash to be able to get the learning that they need in a real step-by-step kind of way with community so they can celebrate their successes along the way. I mean, we have, we had a 60 year old that's on track to pay off $33,000 of debt um, within two years. That's awesome. And she's already paid off. Yeah. Over $15,000. And it's just especially, especially at 60 when most of your big costs like housing and transportation, those are already locked in. You know what I mean? Like it, like it is, and and you have this lifetime of bad habits. (laughs) Yeah. You'd think, right. You'd think, oh, what's the point, right? I've had 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years of doing it this way. But our whole point is no, you're doing it that way because you just never learned how to do it better. You know? And so I really want to teach you the new way we'll say to do it better. And whether it's paying off debt, you know, creating extra cash for yourself on a monthly basis, it absolutely all pays for itself. And free clearly pays for itself, right, Joe? (laughs) And and, well, and I just want to make it clear that obviously Belinda does have a group, does it work for free, but you're going to get good stuff out of the video. Even if you just go for the videos, you'll find out more about uh, Belinda's group at the end of those videos, though, if you decide that you want more. So that's... uh, so that's at ownyourmoney.com forward slash SB. That's what I was going to ask you. Own your You'll money. Never guess how we came up with that. Yeah. Huh, that's weird. <laughs> well, I love the story of how you came up with it because I don't know your transformation because, you know, you're kind of good with money now. Kind Yeah. <laughs> Slight, slightly. Yeah. Yeah. It worked. It worked, right? We became self-made millionaire at 33, right? Based on that moment though. Really, I think if I hadn't have had that breakdown, there wouldn't have been the breakthrough. I love that. Yeah. 12 years from the breakdown to self-made millionaire and teaching other people how to do it. Belinda, thanks a ton for hanging out with us. Thank you so much, Joe. This was really fun. And everybody, you can do this. Hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And today on National Walk to School Day, I'm going back and remembering all of those painful walks back to school. Gather around your radio kids and Uncle Doug will tell you what real hardship is like. I used to have to put on shoes. In those days, they were called sneakers. And I'd have to carry something called a backpack. And we were one strap in it, I tell you. It was full of these objects, names, books. Damn, they were heavy. Uh, I didn't actually carry the books because I wasn't really big on studying, but most kids did. Then I had to carefully place my feet one in front of the other all the way to school, which was three whole blocks away. Yeah, I know. Horrible. It's like torture. I don't know how little kids were made to endure that back in the day, but don't worry. I've lived to tell about it, and I'm going to bestow upon you a delicious little trivia nugget. How about this one? What older comedian starred in the 1986 hit movie, Back to School? I'll be back with the answer in just a moment. 
We're excited that Stacky Benjamins is supported by LinkedIn. You and I both know that the right hire can make a big impact on your business, and that's why it's so important to find the right person. We had trouble finding the right person here, so we went with Richie instead. I only, only say, I like it when I say stuff just to see if I can get. Uh, now he's throwing stuff at. Stop that! No, he's not throwing stuff at me. But the, that's why it's so important to find the right person. But where do you find that individual? You could try posting on the job boards, but can you really be sure that the right person sees your job? Instead, find the person who will help you grow your business with LinkedIn. As the world's largest professional network, people go to LinkedIn every day to grow professionally and to discover job opportunities. 70% of the U.S. workforce is already there. LinkedIn Jobs matches people to your role based on more of who they really are, their skills, interests, and even how open they are to new opportunities. And this way, your job gets seen by more of the right people. Most LinkedIn members haven't recently visited the top job boards, but 9 out of 10 members, they're open to new opportunities, so you can only reach them on LinkedIn. That's why, and I love this stat, if there's any stat that sells me, it's this one. That's why a new hire is made every 10 seconds using LinkedIn. Think it doesn't work? Once every 10 seconds, it's working on LinkedIn. Businesses, by the way, rate LinkedIn 40% higher than job boards at delivering quality candidates. So head to linkedin.com slash SB and you'll get $50 off your first job post just because you're friends with mom and the SB crew. That's linkedin.com slash SB for $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. We're also excited that we are brought to you by Magnify Money. Magnify Money is the place where you go and steady your bank to find the best in banking products. So instead of asking one bank, what do you have? Why wouldn't you ask 90% of the banks? Well, guess what? If you go to Magnify Money, you can do that. You'll hear me typing right now as I head to Magnify Money. And let's take our once a week look at interest rates. By the time you get there, these might have changed a little bit. But so I had to stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. And I can see that I can look at balance transfers, cashback reward cards, 0% interest cards. So I pay less interest to the man or because those are limited time offers, the 0% cards. They also have permanently low interest credit cards, secured credit cards. If you're just starting out trying to build credit, my son used one of those checking accounts, savings accounts, link checking and savings, CD rates, personal loans, student loan refinance, parent plus loan refinance, auto loans, small business loans, and private student loans. They also talk about credit monitoring and identity theft and budgeting apps. But for today, let's just take a look at savings accounts and I'll click on personalized offers. It defaults to uh, my zip code and the account balance and I click update results. And it looks like right now it's two and a half percent. That's a big jump. We didn't have two and a half percent. We looked at this last week. EBSB Direct. The cool thing is it also shows their fine print score, like how in the weeds you're going to get with uh, the fine print, and it gets an A. Very transparent. The bad news is it has a minimum deposit of 5000 bucks, but 2.5%, way above what lately it's been the leader, 225 at My Savings Direct and 215 at Pierpoint Financial. But more than ever, there's a lot of them above 2%. And what's interesting 
these are all direct savings accounts, meaning the best way to get them is through a place like Magnify Money. So check it out. It's the number one place to go to compare, ditch, switch, and save. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash Magnify Money. Hey there, trivia nerds. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Duggan. Who the heck would want to go back to school? Of course, I'm sure the teachers would love to have me back, but it looks like my calendar's totally booked. Educators, dream on. Hey, here was today's trivia. What older comedian starred in the 1986 hit comedy, Back to School? If you said it was the guy who gets no respect, Rodney Dangerfield, you're correct. Nice job. Did you get a free bowl of soup with that shirt? See ya! Big thanks again to Belinda for coming down to the basement. I love the fact, oh gee, that she was like a lot of people listening to the show when she first started out, afraid to look at the bills, stuff in piles, organizing it all incorrectly. It's. I think some people think it's a gene, and it's not a gene. It takes systems. Man, if things if things are like going sideways, you got to tear the Band-Aid off and just start building the house the right way. It's easy to just bury your head in the sand and say, I'm not going to deal with this. But what you need to do is be okay with starting over. Be okay with everything is on the table, everything counts, and just kind of build it back up piece by piece. That may result in no Netflix or Hulu or, you know, something like that. But at least you're making an affirmative decision on each thing as you go. And then once everything gets back to normal or you get back on the right path, then you can kind of ease off the reins just a little bit. Yeah. But it's also a good muscle to exercise from time to time. I love the fact that every month we sit down and still do our bill calendar. You know, I print off a calendar at the beginning of the month and I write in, here's where all the bills are. You know, water bills do this day and the tuition bills do that day or whatever. And it just centers you back on what is going on in your money life right now. Yeah. And consistently tweaking the system, I think is really important. You're going to fall off the wagon. It's not about whether you fall off. It's about getting back on. Love, love that too. Hey, let's throw out the Avon Lifeline and tackle some of life's or life insurance's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first. Oh, uh, private placements to unsuspecting people. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I definitely don't want to do that. That's a joke. No. It's a joke, people. Yes. Yes. Stay um, away from those. Yeah. Uh, rising rates? No, I don't value those either no. at all. Lowering interest rates. That's good. How about lowering? Yeah, we could do that, but that's not going to happen for a while. So. No. And Being happy. I, I value the fact that I'm happy with my low interest rate. How's How that? about that? And that gives you more love for your loved ones and your time, which is the two things they have here in front of me. That's why Haven Life has created a modern way to buy quality term life insurance. And when I talk about modern, way different than the way it was done when I was an advisor that took forever. Instead, policies issued by their parent company, Mass Mutual, and bam, a lot of people get instant coverage decisions after filling out much easier than the type of applications I used to work with as an advisor, applications that were easy to complete. You don't have to wait tons of weeks for a decision. So to get a free quote now or to figure out how much insurance you need, head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash Haven Life. 
That's stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life. And today we're throwing out the lifeline to our new buddy, Alan. Say hi, Alan. Hi, Joe and OG. I have a question about backward Roth contributions. My wife and I are both 28 years old and each make $105,000 a year for a total of 210. We each max out our 401ks using a 50-50 split between traditional and Roth 401ks. We also max out an HSA by making half the contributions and our employers contributing the other half. We have a bonus potential of another 30k a year if all goes well, so we don't think we can lower our income enough to contribute to our Roth IRAs or get a tax benefit from a traditional IRA, which I guess is a good problem to have. Could you explain how to make a backdoor Roth contribution and the mechanics of the transactions? I'd envision contributing after-tax dollars to the traditional IRA and immediately rolling it over to our Roth accounts. But as a CPA, I do our taxes myself and want to make sure I don't botch the process and end up with an additional tax liability. Thanks for your help. Until Doug and Mom, I said hi. Will do, Alan. Thanks for the question. And by the way, before we get into this, you're a CPA. We are not. So you'll want to... I mean, so... You'll want to check uh, with a CPA. Yeah. But I do agree, this is important. You don't want to mess this up. Yeah, so definitely check with your, check with yourself, I guess. Can you say that? <laughs> check check <laughs> yourself. yourself in the mirror. Check yourself before you wreck yourself, check. like mom says. Yes, please. So here's, here's the tactical way of handling what's affectionately known as a backdoor Roth, but let's say what it really is, which is a non-deductible IRA contribution with a conversion. Assuming that you don't have any other outside IRA assets, and this is important for everybody listening, not just Alan, if you're trying to do this and you have an IRA already, it doesn't work the way you think it works. <laughs> because I can't tell you how many times I talk to people they are like, oh yeah, I do these backdoors every year. And I look and I say, but do you have an IRA at Schwab? Yeah, 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 I got an IRA, but I don't use that one. Okay, well, either you're doing your taxes wrong and that's a no-win situation, or you're doing them right and you're not getting the benefit out of this that you think you are. Okay, so this works best if you don't have an IRA. You can have 401ks, that's fine, but not an IRA. So here's how it works. You're going to make a non-deductible IRA contribution. I would leave that money remaining in cash because anything that it grows between the contribution and the conversion is going to be taxable just like it would normally be if it were a normal conversion to a Roth. What most people do this incorrectly is they do these transactions almost back to back. And as a CPA, Alan, you know the concept of a step transaction. And the IRS has not issued any guidance on this any way, shape, or form. The idea is, is if you can see, if the IRS can see what your ultimate plan is here, then they just look at it for what it is. And that always concerns me. So I like to wait a period of time. I've seen people recommend waiting a year to do a conversion. I've seen people recommend a month. Some people do it the next day. I think the answer is probably somewhere in between there. And so I would contribute the money to the IRA as a non-deductible contribution. I would wait several months, a quarter maybe even, then I would do the conversion. And so there are two separate transactions you're going to record the non-deductible contribution on your 8606. Then uh, if it happens to cross over a tax year and then you'll do the conversion, you'll pay taxes on whatever the gain of the account has been. So if you put 5,500 bucks in it and it earned a penny of interest, well, that shows up as income. You know, of course it rounds to zero. But I also don't like having it be invested in XYZ company stock and now it goes from 5,000 to 10,000 and now you got to pay taxes on that 10. 
and then wash, rinse, repeat on an annual basis. Sometimes people like to do them, kind of batch them. So I'm going to do every other year. So I'll do $5,500 in January for last year's and $5,500 in January for this year's. So I've got 11,000. I'll wait a couple of months and maybe in May or June, decide that it's the right time to do a conversion. Uh, But you really want to avoid that step transaction. If you have an IRA already, the IRS aggregates these things. And this is why you can't do it because it's going to look at the cumulative total of your IRAs and prorate the amount that is pre-tax and after-tax and then you end up with a larger tax bill than you thought you would. But it's sneaky. It gets, kind of gets hidden in your tax form, so you don't maybe necessarily see that it's there. And quite often, if you have an IRA, it really is very difficult to make this profitable. Thanks for the question, Ellen. We also... But check with yourself. Check, check if yourself agrees that this is a good idea. <laughs> it works better if you have a split personality. Which many of us do. Many of us, yes. You are Batman. I was. I will never be again, as I think that was a prop that went away. That was a one-time uh, one-time deal. If you were at the Orlando show, you know what we're talking about. If you weren't, mm-hmm. come see us in, well, you missed us in Kansas City last night. By the way, thanks to everybody who came out last night to Kansas City. Had a fantastic time. I love barbecue. Uh, oh my God, don't get me started. Uh, Two and a half days of it. I, I breakfast, do, lunch, and dinner. I don't like sitting across from Doug watching him eat barbecue, though. That dude is uh, messy. He wears more of it than he eats, doesn't he? He, he certainly does. Uh, but speaking of Doug, he just brought down the mail. We've got this letter from Sean. Sean says, so I'm starting college this year, and currently in the UK, I can get a 0% interest credit overdraft of 3,000 pounds. What do you think of me pulling this money and putting it in a medium-risk investment fund to earn some extra Benjis? But do they call Error, they, error. Do, do they call them Benjis in the in the UK though? What do, what do they call them? I don't uh, know. Queen Elizabeth. Some extra Lizzies. <laughs> I, I don't think that's appropriate. No, I'm not sure. Sorry. The rules, but uh, yes. I don't think she goes by Lizzie. I have some pretty good timekeeping to pay it all back before the zero percent notice ends, which would be after three years. Do you guys have any other suggestions as where I could invest it instead? Thanks for the question, Sean. And uh, what do you think? No. Under no circumstances is this a good idea. Sean, this is like the worst idea ever. Yes. Please do not pass go. Do not collect $200. This is the Billy Madison end. We are all now dumber for having listened to this. But this, but people seriously do this. Like they, you know, you get sucked into it. It's, it's gam- like it's interest gam- rate arbitrage. It's like, gambling. Oh, I, think I, can, I think I could do it. I mean, seriously, why not just do that? Take the 3,000 pounds, go to the casino or the sports book, bet it all. It's the same outcome. Either you're going to have the money when the notes do or you won't, which let me give you a secret. You're not going to because you're going to spend it because that's what everybody does. And then you're going to go, dang, now I need to pay $100 a month at 22% interest. Don't do this. Thanks both to Sean and Alan for the question. If you've got a question for the show, head to stackybenjamins.com and across the top of the page, you'll see questions for the show. Click that link and you'll know exactly how to interface with us. You'll find all the secret ways, (laughs) Not, not so secret. Also, something else that's not a secret is that OG's companies shut in the front door here at the end of the month. So if you need good financial help in your corner this year, uh, you'll want to get on that stackybenjamins.com forward slash OG. That's letter O and then the letter G stackybenjamins.com forward slash OG for more. 
All right. That's going to do it, man. Doug, what should we have learned today? So what did we learn today? First, motivate yourself with Belinda Rosenblum's story. Getting organized with your money isn't a gene. It takes building habits. Surround yourself with like-minded people, jump into your money situation, and learn. You'll be great at budgets and money management in no time. Second, your advisor is recommending some investment that sounds sketchy. Ask if it's going to be part of your statement from a third-party vendor. If not, it's probably best to run for the door. But the big lesson? Don't try to recreate your walk to school all these years later. I just looked. And that's three whole blocks. That's three blocks. Who the heck wants to walk three blocks? What are we like cavemen now? That's what Vespas are for and El Caminos. I won't even bike that far. That's just crazy talk. Unless, you know, if by school you meant donut shop, well, you know, then maybe. Special thanks to Belinda Rosenblum for joining us. You'll find Belinda's course at ownyourmoney.com forward slash SB. This show was created by Joe Saul Cihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I do not like computer jokes. Not one bit. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. What are you still doing here? The show is over. Go home. Welcome to the after show. This is the part of the show that doesn't exist. And Belinda, you're new to the after show. So you can't talk about this part of the show. All right. What happens here stays here. This is completely between us. (laughs) Okay. I will keep that in mind. I always stay on for the after show, Joe. It is. It is. How long did it take you to find it? Or did you find it right away? Well, usually I take you running with me. And so I'm not the fastest person to pull out my phone out of my little pack. <laughs> so the first time when I was listening to your show, I was like, wait a second, don't, don't stop. Like, this is really fun. Like what the hell? So, I love it. I love <laughs> it when people have been listening to us for four or five months and I get an email that goes, I never knew. Like you, you guys finish and I shut it off and I never knew. And uh, that's always, that's always a nice laugh on our part, but you full of surprises. Yeah. <laughs> you, <laughs> Usually, I'm just entertaining me, as you know. 
we usually talk about funny things about movies, but actually there's a serious topic that we didn't get time to talk about, which is the situation that you told in the horrible, but also fantastic learning for people listening story about your, mm-hmm. your, your situation with your dad. So mm-hmm. you're taking care of your dad after his stroke you talk about assisted living facility, nursing home. We've mm-hmm. done stories on the show about how difficult that process is, but you have firsthand experience. Tell me how, how hard that was being 21 and now telling this person who brought you up what they're going to do. Yeah. I mean, it was, um, you know, it was really, I mean, the moment was kind of wild because I was actually home for a few hours and I didn't know he was on the floor in his office. Like, I just thought he was out running errands or with friends. Like, he was a very active 59-year-old. He passed away a few years later. It's actually the anniversary of his passing oh. uh, tomorrow. Yeah, so kind of poignant that we're, we're um, you know, sharing something from his legacy. Yeah, yeah, and talking about him. So when he had the stroke, it was just really startling. I lived with him at the time. Like, I was post-college, was saving some money, just bought my first car, you know, doing some of the things that we tell people to do. I had to pay him rent though. I will have, you know, side note, nice. that was my dad. Yeah. He's like, you're going to pay $400. You're making good money now. <laughs> so so um, once I became his primary caretaker and that was my side hustle, then I did not pay that $400 anymore <laughs> to myself, but <laughs> he was okay with that. He understood that I had a new, a new part-time job. I want you to take care of him. But you know, if you think when you're 21, right, you're just trying to like figure out life right? Let alone to feel like you're the caretaker of your dad, like of the person who's been the caretaker for you for so many years. Yeah. I can't imagine the weight of that. Yeah. It was, I mean, in the moment you're so in it that it was more just scared. Like, could it happen again? So he was diabetic, adult onset diabetes. And so when something like that happens, it just startles you like, oh my God, you know, could he get another stroke that could be more severe? And at the time it paralyzed his left side pretty badly. So he couldn't really talk at first. He couldn't walk. So it was really about just how do we take care of him, you know, as best as we can in the moment. And I'm a fighter. So I was like going to get him into the best place that I could, you know, get the most coverage that we could. We got him into like a special rehab hospital that was fantastic for him. And he was there for three months, the max. We got an extension. So it was the max that he could That's before what I was he came home. No, it's exactly mm-hmm. what I was going to ask about because people don't know how this works. So you apply for Medicare help because Medicare will help. And then you got to continually apply for extensions. That's what you're talking about, right? I'm not sure at the time he had Medicare. I think he was still a college professor oh, at that's, the that's, university in New York. So right. I think he had his initial coverage for his healthcare from them. Gotcha. But we still had to apply because they would only cover like 45 days. And I was like, he's not better. I said, this is a severe stroke. So I really fought to get him the most. And and as a PSA, like I don't think people fight enough to make a stink to say, I want, you know, what's the extra coverage that I can get? Even if you have to ask again to a supervisor, like I wanted him to get the most that was possible. So then the 90 days though, he, he was almost like the mayor of the place by the time he left. He's a little bit like me, like kind of extroverted and like a schmoozer. Slightly. So literally they made him like the king of Mardi Gras, I think, before he left. <laughs> but because <laughs> it was in November and he was there through February. But um, he was a little sad to leave and come home. But it was life changing for him to be able to get that kind of care. Then he came home for a few years and I lived with him. I was only going to live at home for six to 12 months. And I stayed there for a little over two years to be able to really support him to a new level of stability. 
health-wise, right? To make sure that he ate, to make sure that he had everything that he needed. And then after I felt like he was stable, then I moved into New York City, got my own apartment. But that lasted all of like maybe two months. Oh. And he ended up taking off that last summer from work. Just think like when you stop working out for three months, you know, when you lose your why a little bit to keep going and to keep going with all the therapies and everything, it was really hard to get back. And so we tried to go back for that next semester. So we'd gone back for one full year. He tried to go back for that next semester in September and he just couldn't physically do it and couldn't mentally do it. Just the three months of being out of it had set him back. Was it depression? Was it just, yeah, yeah, I'm, there was yeah, I'm done that. with that or what is it? Yeah. I mean, he had been a professor for 25 years and I think he just got a little tired. And I think the depression did set in a little bit because it was so draining for him yeah. to have to, to, it was a lot of energy, you know, it's stuff that we totally take for granted, but getting up out of a chair took energy, getting himself down from the apartment to get into a car that would take him to the university to have to teach, right? To like be on and teach for the hour then to take the papers, then I would help him grade the papers. Like there was just a lot of steps that we can do pretty easily ourselves, but post-stroke and just a little still mentally challenged, I guess, or just things were now a little bit harder for him. I think he just got tired and, um, and stubborn. <laughs> so he was like, he didn't want to get out of his chair anymore. You know, he didn't want to have to grade the papers. And so he started giving a little bit too much to the person that worked for him, you know, his right-hand person. And, yeah. And we just said, you know what, like we want him to end on a high note. He's been an amazing professor, chairman of the department, the whole bit in business law. And I wanted everything to end positive for him. So, um, so we ended his tenure with the university and then shortly thereafter, we brought him to an assisted living facility so that he could really keep having the companionship and the, um, socialization of not being at home. And it was all like a crazy, you know, eight years or so for us. I can't imagine you're doing all that and you're working on all your own stuff yeah, at the same time. Right. Well, then I had my job. So yeah. in 93, I had the stroke and then we moved him into in 95 into an assisted living. And then shortly thereafter, I had moved up to Boston. I was actually dating somebody long distance, if you can believe it, through all of this. <laughs> so then in my spare time, I'm trying to get in to Boston <laughs> to, to see this person I had been dating now for four years. So then I, um, I moved up to Boston and then it just became obvious. I was commuting every other weekend back to see him in New York and he was deteriorating himself just in the assisted living. So I brought him up and moved him into a nursing home in Boston. And so that was 96. And then he passed away like six years later. Had he but, planned um, any of this stuff though, yeah. Belinda? Had he planned like long-term care? Had he planned uh, for any of these? Not really. I mean, people weren't talking about it as much then. Yeah. Um, he had planned for his funeral plot, oh. <laughs> his burial plot. So he had that and okay. he had one for him, for me and for my sister and our significant others. Wow. that far ahead. Yeah. So we got that covered. But beyond that, he hadn't. And it it was so sad, you know, how much he had worked so hard to save money and to have a legacy to pass on to us. And we didn't have good estate planning counseling at the time. So that's absolutely something that I encourage people to do for themselves as they get older, you know, or for to help their parents to do it. So we used up so much money paying privately for the nursing home for years until we could apply to have him get coverage. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's why I, you know, we, we, we talk about, I think some people think we talk about it too much, but it's stories like yours that make me go, you can't, you can't play in this stuff soon enough. 
like plan it early. I think it's even, uh, well, all of our good friend Susie Orman that everybody's talk, talking about. Everybody <laughs> seems to be talking about uh, her, her. Yeah, it's okay. I'm, you don't need to have 20, 30, 40 million dollars to uh, go and get this done. <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> I was just like, oh my goodness. You can't yeah, have but, enough money to get it done. Thank God, by the way, that conversation yeah. wasn't between Susie and me. Like my, our conversation with Susie was fine. It was right. Susie Peacock, but not that I, I would not have wanted to have been Paula Pant in that discussion. For those people that don't know what we're talking about, go listen to Afford Anything and Susie Orman on Paula Pant Show, and you'll you'll have some fun. Listen to our interview too, and A-B those two interviews, by the way, because it's night and flipping day. Isn't but, that so funny though, it, how that can happen? It is you know, but crazy. yeah, I, I mean, I feel like part of it too is the questions that get asked and like I'm thinking the things that touched you in talking with me even are different. I haven't talked about my dad, I don't think on any podcast. And I've been on tons of podcast interviews. And it's interesting the things that you know will appeal for the listeners, you know, that, that they you think they really need to hear and the things that touch you, you know. And yeah. so I think that it's so interesting how different podcasts can bring out different things in a guest. And yeah. you're just an expert interviewer too. So I, I don't know anything about that. I just purely ask <laughs> I just purely yeah. ask the annoying questions you can't ask at a party. You know, like <laughs> if I, everybody wants to hear though, you know, like, can you, bet you're right. I'll bet people heard some of my dad's story and they were like, well, what, what happened? I know. Right? And so the after party, but, know, you, the after but just imagine Belinda walking up to somebody at a party and going, so how good a money manager were you at 21? Tell me about the stacks of mail. On your, <laughs> like, how creepy are you? And so I get to yeah. ask all those annoying questions now. I'll, um, it was funny though. I will say that when um, I left a corporate accounting and finance career after 15 years and I lived, you know, I told you that I do everything a little bit ahead of the game. <laughs> so I lived Eat, Pray, Love before it was a hit movie and book. So I did like, I went to India and I backpacked by myself for a month and I went to Costa Rica and I volunteered there. I took this year and a half off and I actually had an idea of helping people with money. I had spoken with some financial advisors and they were like, oh, you should do what we do. And I was like, okay, well, let me go talk with people. Well, this is where it got really funny. So I would go and I would go to the party, right? And I would ask people and I'd be like, hey, you know, how do you manage your money? <laughs> I'm considering becoming an advisor. And it was so funny how they would like clutch their purses, you know, and like stop talking to me from then on. And I was like, okay, duly noted. Maybe I won't become a financial advisor then. And it was just so interesting how so much of their challenges weren't around as much of the asset allocation, right? Or the investing side, it was all of the emotions. It was all yes. of the, you know, other behind the scenes, the shame that they felt, you that's, know, they love to hear my story. That, well, although I will say it took me years to tell it. But, yeah. Well, that, that, I think it takes all of us years to tell our story. Mm -hmm. Well, even to develop, you know, who we are. And mm -hmm. I still don't, someday I'm going to know who the hell I am, Belinda. I'll get there. <laughs> But, <laughs> call me when you do and I'll call you and it'll all be good. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have our own after party. After, but it, after but it's party. funny. I have my friend, uh, Tony, when I first started and he was talking about the best way to get a table at a restaurant, at a crowded restaurant, like, you know, there's could be an hour and a half wait. And he's like, no, I got this. Like everybody's going, no, let's go somewhere else. No, no, no. I got this. Walk up, walk up to like a party of three sitting at a four top with the empty chair and just walk up there and go, hi, uh, my name's Tony, and I'd like to talk to you about your life insurance and hand him your financial planner card. And all of a sudden he's like, hey, I got a free table for four. <laughs> this, is, this is our table. Like those, <laughs> the, those people will forget about their meal, forget about dessert. They're getting the hell away. I always thought that was great. Hey, whatever it takes. huh? What? Yeah. And that's kind of how I felt, you know? So then I decided I wanted to be more of this like financial therapist versus the uh, financial advisor. And that's you know, the rest is history. And as uh, that one guy says or said, now you know the rest of the story. Exactly. I love that.
Well, Stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.